We all want to feel better, be happier, and have more freedom. And there are endless resources at our fingertips. But wading through a sea of self-help books, podcasts, and workshops takes more time than anyone has. Except me. That's my job. I curate and translate the latest, most effective personal development wisdom to help you elevate your personal experience and improve the way you show up for others. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. Highly sensitive people and how to flourish in an overwhelming world. Here's my hope for this show that a lot of you, especially those of you who, like me, were unaware of your sensitivities, will find comfort and understanding in areas of your life you struggle. Introvert, extrovert, macho man, whatever you think you are, you'll find some grace for yourself and some equipping of how to better manage your life to find more peace and success. Look, sensitive does not mean fragile or delicate. Sensitive means quick to detect or respond to slight changes, signals, or influences. Think of it this way. A military fighter jet is incredibly sensitive to every nuance, detecting the slightest problem or change and alerting the pilot and ground crews. They cost from 60 to $130 million each. A tank, on the other hand, does not require such sensitivity. It costs around $10 million. They both have different valuable uses. And speaking of the military, the special forces personnel are actually trained to become highly sensitive to everything. This is my preface to informing you that while every human is, of course, on the scale of being more or less sensitive to the outside world and to their own inner world, about 30% of you listening will tip over into being a highly sensitive person, HSP, which is thought to have an increased or deeper central nervous system sensitivity to physical emotional, or social stimuli. And if that's not you, you definitely know some people who are. It's a big percentage. And friends, a kicker also here is that I am an HSP. I just didn't know it. I have been all my life and I've masked it. I've gripped my teeth and I've negatively judged myself for just being intolerant. I'm pretty thrilled about this message. My guest to break down the walls on this issue is Andre Solo. He's the force behind Sensitive Refuge. It's actually sensitiverefuge.com. It's the world's largest website for sensitive people. And Andre is the co-author of, this is the new book, Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. And I really encourage you to take a listen to this message as I think you'll find relevance for yourself and for others in your life. The Self-Helpful Podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. June 15, 16 of 2023, I'm going to be in Dallas to attend and speak at the Ziglar Coach Summit. I want you to think, if you really know that you want to influence people for the better, professionally and personally, I invite you to check this event out. Join me there. Go to Ziglar, Z-I-G-L-A-R.com slash Coach Summit. Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Andre Solo and some incredible insight on better managing your sensitivities, whether they are mild or you're an actual HSP, highly sensitive person like myself. You can find Andre's book, Sensitive Anywhere. I am studying it in earnest right now, and you can connect with him at sensitiverefuge.com. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. 
And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Andre, I was interested in the book just from seeing the title. I didn't realize how relevant it would be to my personal life when I first Ooh. cracked it. Yeah. There's, there's your intro for the, for the, for our talk. You ready? Do it. Literally. Uh, I, I'm, I'm texting back and forth with one of my adult kids who's in school right now pursuing psychology and talking about this. And she's like, yeah, dad, I know uh, that you're that way. Yeah. I, why didn't I missed it? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to start at a high level here. I really care about the meaning of words and how, well, the perception of words, I should say the perception and then the meaning. And what is really curious to me right off the bat, as your book is called sensitive one word in the, as the title. And when you look up sensitive or the opposite insensitive, they both are pretty much awash in a negative connotation. That's yeah. an odd reality. And so here you have a book and we're going to oh, sensitive. And if somebody says, no, I don't want to be sensitive. Oh, you want to be insensitive? No, both of those are bad. That, that <laughs> kind of, doesn't that seem kind of troubling to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, right. I think when you hear the word sensitive, I think we often think of being weak or fragile or like maybe somebody who overreacts to things and can't control themselves. And that's just not what sensitive means. Uh, as a personality trait, being sensitive means that you take in more information from your surroundings and you do more with it. And what I mean by that is sensitive people are actually wired at a brain level to process all information more deeply. Every one of us, as we're bringing in information from the five senses and having thoughts and reactions and emotions, there's, you know, we can put more mental resources or fewer mental resources into processing all that. And our brains often kind of just take a shortcut and they just filter out a lot of it and get make a quick judgment and say, that's good enough and I'll move on because we have so much information coming in. But sensitive people do a little less of that filtering. They spend a little more time, a little more mental resources on processing and kind of sifting through everything, which means that they do have stronger reactions to their environment. But they also tend to be really deep thinkers who make connections between ideas that other people don't see. They'll pick up on details that other people miss, and they can often come up with really creative and innovative perspectives and solutions to things. So it's a really powerful gift that we often think of as a weakness. Okay, let's keep playing there because I do want to set it up well as we dive into this that, yeah, sensitive. So, you know, I playing with the definitions, you know, you look at a sensitive topic and it's, oh, it's a fragile one. Or, yeah, we think about that as a delicate thing don't yeah like you said they're sensitive you know like like that fragile aspect as opposed to sensitive and this is what got to me 
A few years ago, kind of in a muddled way, not as clear as I'm thinking about it now as I've studied your book, but I've thought, gosh, I want, I don't want to be insensitive. I want to be sensitive even to the fact of, and you talk about this, um, trying to look for the term you gave it. Oh, si- uh, later in the book, situational awareness. Now, I yes. love that idea of sensitive because I'm thinking, dude, uh, I live out in a national forest that, you know, and we see the wild animals come through. Those guys are ultimately sensitive. They hear anything and they're on the alert. Uh, I, I dig the the Bourne series movies, you know, Jason Bourne. I'm thinking, dude, that guy's highly sensitive. He doesn't miss a thing. That elevates the concept. Is it fair to say, okay, that's the kind of sensitivity we're more gearing towards? I think so. That's that's a fascinating question. So, right, sensitivity is if your brain is kind of turned up in this way. If you're if you're processing information more deeply, you're going to do that for all information, right? And there's lots of kinds of information we we bring in. Now, we often think about when we hear the word sensitive being emotionally sensitive, and that is true on the average for sensitive people. They do tend to be higher on empathy and have strong emotions. But there's also that conceptual where you're you're thinking deeply, and there's also the physical sensitivity. And you can think of highly sensitive people as being almost like a seismograph, you know, that we use to measure uh, vibrations in the earth and detect earthquakes before they happen. A seismograph, that little needle just always just etching any tiny vibration. And if you even just, you know, kind of tap your foot five rooms away, the seismograph picks it up and jumps. Um, So it's a very sensitive instrument. But because of that, it can detect things that are invisible under the earth. It can detect things happening on the other side of the earth and know about earthquakes or nuclear explosions before uh, we have any other means of finding out about them. And the sensitive brain is a lot like that. We're bringing in lots of information from the environment. We're going deep with all of it. And you're noticing, wait a minute, something smells off about this food. Wait a minute. You know, there was a little tiny hint of a smile on that person's face before they hit it that no one else noticed. But I can tell right. that they're lying or they're up to something. That's what it means to be sensitive. You pick up everything. So it's really a combination of both. It's the emotional and the physical. uh, And those two types of sensitive are so closely connected that if you take Tylenol to numb your physical pain, you'll actually score lower on an empathy test until the Tylenol wears off because it dulls both types of sensitivity, not just one. That's, That's intriguing. I read about that in the book. Well, let's real quick go to the other side of that because you're not saying that, well, first off, you know, as people hear this, I think a lot of people will relate to a lot of it. And yet you are saying that, okay, not, not everyone is this very sensitive person or, or even more so highly sensitive person, HSP, um, 30% is what you gauge the populace as. So it's not, it's isn't everybody. And now everybody else though, just to again, clarify this at a root level, you're not saying, oh, and the re- the other 70%, those are insensitive people, right? Right, right. Okay, yeah. cl- it's, so- really, it's just like any other like personality trait where it's a continuum, right? Yeah. And what we see is a very similar distribution with sensitivity as you might see with things like openness or things like conscientiousness or things like introversion or extroversion, I should say. Uh, it's a very similar distribution where most people are in the middle of the continuum. Everyone is sensitive to some extent, even the, the toughest you know, least emotional person in the world has some level of sensitivity. We all have to absorb information from our environment and respond to it in some way. Unless you're Uh, a psychopath, which you literally talk about in the book. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, So most people are in the middle. Uh, Some people are at the low sensitive end, right? And then about 30% of people are at the high sensitive end. And that's true for both men and women, 30% of men and 30% of women. And as far as we know, people of any gender uh, will score as highly sensitive. 
But what's interesting is men and women answer the questions on a sensitivity test very differently. It's still about 30% of men who, who score highly sensitive, but they often don't check the boxes as much for the uh, some of the emotional things on the test. It's not because they don't have big emotions. They do. It's because it doesn't see our culture doesn't think of it as a masculine trait. So they don't want to say, oh, I have really high empathy. I can feel what other people are feeling. But if you word it differently, if you say, are you good at reading people? Well, suddenly the male uh, sensitive people say, oh, yeah, no, I am. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and likewise, uh, males who are sensitive tend to be much quicker to check off the boxes, like you said, about situational awareness, noticing little details in the environment, because that feels like a manly thing. That's helpful for tracking and hunting and police work and all kinds of stuff. And women might not always check that off as much, but they focus more on the empathy stuff. because Not because it's that different between the, the two sexes, but because of just the way we're kind of socialized to talk about this. Men don't want to admit that they're sensitive, so they find other ways to talk about okay, it. Okay, you just opened up a, a can of worms there that, or it was for me literally andre yeah for real yeah because as i am looking at you use the term empathy and as we talk about emotions so on one hand i have always felt i mean even as a kid i was told that oh my gosh you really read people well you know how to win friends and influence people you know how to to do the right. room and, and and whatever and i've always felt really perceptive with people however I could say as a guy and or just my own personal baggage and what I embraced, not in tune with my own emotions. So to be an, to be an empathetic person, which is to say, you know, in essence, gosh, I understand, or I can feel that emotion you're feeling. I'm not so great at doing that unless I literally am aware that I felt that a lot of times I think, gosh, I, you know, I, I sense your discomfort. I can, I can tune into that. You're, you know, you're feeling something. I don't know what that feels like. I don't, you know, so I'm, I'm getting in touch with my own emotions. So if we stereotype guys, not in touch with their emotions, not led or bred into being in touch with their emotions, they get the, they do not get the label of being empathetic. And yet Ooh. they're really good at tuning into people, reading people. And I have seen court then the opposite. And, and I was thinking about this as I read your book and read the, you've got a lot on empathy that I have a lot of, I, I've recognized people who are quote, seemingly very empathetic. They can relate to the emotion, but then I see they're not very perceptive. They're not really tuned into the other person. They're over here wigging out because they can feel the emotion and they, oh my gosh, I know what that feels like. But as you talk about it, that it feels like a much more internal individual experience for them. It doesn't mean that they are really tuned into the other person, which you would say is, well, you actually differentiate that and say, that's the difference between empathy and compassion, correct? Right, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think the sweet spot for empathy is that you you feel, you notice what someone else is feeling, you feel a resonance with that, you can you can understand and relate to that emotion yourself. You very well probably do feel it inside of yourself with them to some degree, but then rather than assuming you know what's going on in their life or how they feel, you talk to them about it. You ask them about it yeah. and you let them open up and help them open up. And I don't want to knock empathy in any way. Empathy is one of our most powerful traits as human beings. It's something that brings people together, unites uh, teams, cultures, friends, families, uh, and allows us to do great things. It's really the basis of morality is to have empathy for other right. people. But at the same time, if you only have empathy, if the only piece of it is that you feel what they're feeling, well, one of the empathy experts that I spoke to for the book put it this way. Uh, if a baby starts crying, it doesn't help the baby if you start crying too. <laughs> that's that's stout. That's stout. Right. Oh, is, is it and is it even possible to be quote empathetic? You can feel somebody's feelings and not be sensitive. 
That's a good question. So, I mean, these are both on a sliding scale, right? Everyone is sensitive to some degree. Everyone, except for psychopaths, has some sense of empathy. And even psychopaths can can have empathy if they make an intentional effort to practice it. They just don't tend to feel it naturally so much. Um, So everyone can feel empathy to some degree. And, of course, you don't have to be a highly sensitive person to have empathy. Now, with that said, I think that... um, you know, the people who like you, you probably know people who talk about being an empath, right? Yep. And an empath is this very popular word now that means basically that you um you have the experience of absorbing the emotions of everyone around you. And not just in the way that most of us talk about, where it's like, oh, you know, I'm sad because my friend is sad, but even in the sense of you walk into a room full of strangers into a coffee shop and before even you know, chatting with anyone or barely looking around the room, you suddenly just feel the stress come upon you because there's a stressed out person two tables over. That's what empaths mean when they talk about being an empath. Well, you know, the scientific explanation for that is probably that they're a highly sensitive person because highly sensitive people do on average have a much higher empathy level, including sensitive men, um, than, than the average person. And that's true both when we look at their brain activity and when we ask them in a questionnaire about their empathy and they, they self-report it. So it's, it's a really true thing. Um, and I think that there is a subset of highly sensitive people who really struggle with empathy and see it not as a blessing or a gift, but as a curse. Because it's it's not fun to walk through the world absorbing all the anger and resentment and, and unexplained stress of the people around you, even without you know talking to them. It's not a fun thing all the time. Um, and so really, when we talk about this move from from just empathy to empathy with compassion, it's not something to dismiss being an empath or having empathy. It's something to say, here's how you can start to channel your empathy in a way that's not going to be painful for you. It's not going to be so draining for you. And it'll actually really make a transformative difference for other people around you. And that shift, you could sum it up this way. Well, if, if a baby starts crying and it doesn't help to cry with them, uh, well, what does help? Well, it's figuring out, well, wait, does the ba- is the baby crying because they need to be burped? or because they need their diaper changed, or because they're hungry, or because something scared them, right? And these are all things I'm very familiar with, uh, having a two-year-old who was a baby pretty recently, right? Um, is you need to figure out what's the reason they're crying before you can do anything to soothe them. And that's really the secret sauce to empathy. You move to compassion, you stop putting the focus on, oh, I'm feeling so pain, so much pain, because they're yeah. feeling pain. And you start to put the focus on, you know, what what's bothered? You look, you look like you're bothered. What's going on? You know, and they tell you something, you say, wow, that must that must really hurt. Do you feel scared about that? And you start to ask these open-ended emotional questions, and that puts the focus back on the person who needs the focus, who needs the help or attention. And pretty soon they're sharing with you, and you're sharing with them, and they feel a sense of trust, you know, growing with you. And the magic of of, of compassion is that it actually calms your system too, as the person doing the compassion. It's not just good for the person receiving it, it's good for the person giving it, which is different than empathy. Empathy is often a high stress experience. It often yeah. comes with racing heartbeat, increased uh, you know, tension in the body, um, and increased rate of breathing as we feel uncomfortable emotions with someone. But compassion has the opposite effect. It brings people closer, it makes you lean in, it makes you feel relaxed, and it actually calms your pulse and your breathing to do empath- to do compassion with someone else. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out 
or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Well, again, you're turning this concept upside down for me, or or, or maybe just opening it up, Andre, uh, and looking at it, because as you have talked about sensitivity and empathy, I am prone to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm pretty darn empathetic. I tune into people. If, if I go into a coffee shop and there's somebody there that's just really agitated, I, I just can't, I really can't handle it. It's I, like, you just can't tune I, it out. I can't. I, and I'm just gonna have to go no different than I was in one recently. It was a brand new coffee shop went in and they were working on a window and I kept trying to drown it out. And ultimately I, I just, I just left. I just, so I'm thinking I'm sympath, sympathetic. And with, if there's a person in there, I'm totally tuned in to him. Now I don't know that I'm that compassionate in all honesty, naturally, at least. Yeah. And that's the fun thing is a lot of people, especially highly sensitive people will naturally be high in empathy, but I don't know that anyone is naturally high in compassion. Compassion is a skill you learn. Hmm. Something that you learn to practice. That's good and to hear because I, I feel like that's my only shot at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and absolutely. You can start. There's many ways to practice it. One is is more you know kind of um, you know kind of what I talked about of asking questions and, and open ended questions. And I think that helps a lot. And the other thing you can do to prime yourself to start doing that 
is to practice compassion meditation, as we talk about in the book. Yeah. And that can be, it doesn't have to be spiritual, it can be secular, uh, but it's uh, proven to have very real effects in terms of promoting compassion and changing brain activity if you do that on a regular basis. It's a it's a game changer. Well, let's talk about the spectrum then, because we're saying over, over here, there's not a lot of, I mean, you don't spend much time talking about insensitive people and, you know, psychopaths over here. I mean, that's, that's way over here on the spectrum that most people, let's say, are going to have a, a healthy dose of, of, you know, both sensitivity and maybe they're less in some areas and there's probably spectrums in this, within the spectrums. And then over here, you do a good uh, amount of, of work, obviously in the book, talking about those who are a little higher than normal. And, and honestly, at this point, and, I, and I'm, I'm really cautious to label myself, but as I go through the, the list that you provide, I'm, I'm just pretty much full tilt boogie over there on the sensitive side. It opens up a lot. Literally, I was talking with my daughter. She's like, I know, daddy. I know, daddy. I know we've seen you this way for for a long time. Okay. And in that though, it's not that you are, you're kind of giving compassion to those who are highly sensitive and and to all of us to be able to look at sensitivity. And as you said before, in, in essence, how to harness it well, how to leverage it well. It's not that you're necessarily holding it up as better, but just saying, and you actually mentioned, I think, Susan Cain. So we had her on the show and she's well known for her books on introversion. And there she advocates for it. I don't think she holds it up and says introverts are better. We're not saying sensitive people are better. They have some pros that we can leverage and they have some cons that they need to mediate. Fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, because yeah, I want people to, to look at this. It's something that I think we can all benefit from this aspect of understanding sensitivity and encourage those who are sensitive and to realize, as you said, it's not a, to not look at it as a weakness. It's a, a propensity, a predisposition that does have some weaknesses. Absolutely. That if, as we all do, Let's figure out how to manage those and then leverage it's like any other you know human temperament trait or personality trait where it's it's neither good nor bad inherently right it, it comes with a series of strengths and advantages and a series of drawbacks just like anything else you know you could be the most talkative extroverted person in the world or the most you know quiet introverted person in the world um, and both come with different strengths and weaknesses well the same true is the same is true whether you're you know higher in sensitivity or, or lower in sensitivity or in the middle. Um, the reality is, though, that sensitivity has some powerful gifts that are often overlooked. It's, uh, it is a trait that's tied to, uh, linked to giftedness in terms of uh, intelligence. It's tied to high, high creativity, high empathy, um, and a lot of other amazing outcomes uh, to be highly sensitive with a really big drawback, which is overstimulation. Yeah. And the thing about having a brain that's going to process information deeply is it processes everything deeply. And it processes it deeply, even if you're in an environment where there's a lot coming at you. And so sensitive people tend to be at their best in calm uh, environments. And they tend to struggle more in environments that are fast, loud, crowded, busy, chaotic, you know, places like that. Um, where there's a lot of stimulation happening at once because your brain tries to go deep with all of it and it can't keep up. It just can't possibly do that. It's burning through mental resources. It's getting overwhelmed. It gets fatigued and suddenly overstimulation sets in, which can feel like anything from brain fog and fatigue to anxiety, even to uh, physical symptoms like getting a stress headache and and things like that. and it's, you know, anyone can get overstimulated. We all have a limit, absolutely. Uh, but sensitive people tend to get overstimulated more easily, which is the drawback for this. And it's funny you mentioned earlier, you know, you were talking about how it bothers, it's hard for you to tune out 
a person who is stressed out next to you in a coffee shop. But you also mentioned it's hard for you to tune out when people are like, you know, working on repairing the window. Well, that's not about empathy. That's about physical uh, stimulation. But it's true. It's sensitive. People are, it's not just an emotional sensitivity. It's a physical sensitivity. You know, and it has its very good side, right? Sensitive people are the ones who notice those, uh, that subtle note of, of oak in the Chardonnay or who pick up on the scratchy texture of a fabric that other people might not notice. Um, but it also means that you have a hard time tuning out the, you know, drip, drip, drip of the faucet or the person talking next to you in your open office or uh, the people repairing the window while you're trying to concentrate. Some people can tune that out no problem. Sensitive people have a hard time with that. So it's this physical and emotional sensitivity together and the deep thinking but the drawback is you can get overstimulated. Yeah, it's it's again so interesting, Andre. I'm 52 years old, and I think I've looked at most of these aspects of sensitivity as just you know either my quirks or, or really that I'm just kind of an intolerant person. I, I've kind of yeah. thought about it that way, and yet look at my life. I live in a town, uh, 9,200 feet up in the mountain, uh, high up in the mountains of about 3,000 households. I live outside outside of town in a national forest. I can kind of see a neighbor or two, their lights, you know, so we're out there. I have a big home. It's made out of straw bales. So the walls are about 20 inches thick. It's like a cocoon. You can't hear a thing outside. Uh, sound, noise, uh, noise, lights, uh, all that types of stuff. Yeah. The, the atmosphere. I mean, and I apparently am a very sensitive person and just didn't really conceive of it so well. And reading this, it's not that it necessarily makes me feel you know better about the stuff, but it's like, gosh, okay, that just makes sense. So how can yeah. I cater to it so I can function better, that I do need more solitude to recharge? I've known that more so in, in previous years. And Ooh. even, even um, and there was, a, not to jump somewhere else, but I read that there's a correlation between uh, HSP, highly sensitive people, and ADHD. Have you played with that then? I, I would question that, honestly. Really? So okay. I think that this is one of several things that often gets like mixed up with sensitivity. Yep. And the only thing that ADHD and high sensitivity have in common is that they can both lead to overstimulation. Okay. And I think because of that, people can mistake one for the other. And I also think that a number of highly sensitive uh, kids, especially um, who get overstimulated at school, end up getting hauled in front of the doctor for some kind of diagnosis, even though they don't have a condition. They they have a normal, healthy personality trait, which is sensitivity. Um, but then they get misdiagnosed as having ADHD, and it can be a real problem. Um, so I think if you look at the brain activity, there's really not much in common between ADHD and highly high sensitivity. Okay. And you can be both. You can absolutely be both sure. in the same way that you can be any two things put together. Um, well, but, let me let me yeah. ask on that. On that, yeah, being sensitive doesn't mean that you can't be a lot of other things. I mean, we just did a series on the Enneagram with Ian Cron, yep. and in that, we didn't necessarily. I hadn't read your book yet. We didn't talk about that. And you're saying you're calling it or referring to it, yeah, as a missing personality trait. I'm saying, are you in essence trait. saying you can be okay? There's what are there nine numbers in the Enneagram, you know, or whatever personality profile you're into, but let's take take that one that you could theoretically be any of those numbers and be highly sensitive. Is that, or would you say yes? And then would you also say, if so, though, you're, it's probably going to lend itself to certain types of personality types as well. I think, you know, I think that's likely true. Yeah, I think that's likely true. I think that, uh, so the Enneagram, I think, does a little bit better of a job than some personality type systems of kind of uh, 
they don't put it in terms of like the the known personality traits, like the big five. Um, but a lot of things in there correspond to certain personality profiles. So I think probably you could be a highly sensitive person and score as any of those, but probably there are going to be certain Enneagram numbers that are more common for highly sensitive people. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, um, I think there's a, there's a longstanding history, both in science and in popular culture, of trying to make sensitivity go away, in a sense, yeah. where it's, well, isn't this really just something else by a different name? And, you know, for a while, scientists were trying to figure out, well, isn't this the same thing as just having anxiety or depression, right? It's just you're, you're too sensitive because of trauma or anxiety. No, actually, absolutely not. In fact, people become more sensitive if they have a positive upbringing that's free of, of trauma uh, as a kid. Um, among other types of things that can lead to that as well. Um, you know, so it's, it's oftentimes very, yeah, there are plenty, plenty of highly sensitive people who do have anxiety or depression, but plenty who don't. It's just not the same thing. And then it became, well, isn't this maybe the same thing as, as introversion? No, because there's highly sensitive extroverts. Okay, well, isn't this maybe the same thing as just being really emotional? No, because there's a physical sensitivity side and a deep thinking, uh, you know, sensitivity side that's linked to high IQ and creativity. So it's not just the same thing as being emotional. And I think there's been a a few decades of just trying to like, well, let's just say this is really something else. Um, And it's only been really much more recently that researchers widely have started to say, no, we've done many tests. We've sifted it every way possible. It's not the same as any of the big five traits. It's not the same as these other things we know. It's its own thing that measures something that none of those other things measure. Um, And it's partly because of that stigma where you talked about, you know, maybe knowing some of these things about yourself, but viewing them as quirks and maybe not wanting to, maybe even viewing them as weaknesses. Um, that's often how we see being sensitive as a culture. And I was the same way. I mean, when I was a kid, I've been sensitive my whole life. If you're a sensitive person, it's in your genes. Um, And as a kid, I started kindergarten and I did fine in class. That was no problem. But once I was out on the playground for recess, and now you got 100 kids who are running and screaming and laughing and playing and sometimes fighting. Well, it's loud. There's a million people everywhere. It's chaotic. And it just became overstimulating. And I didn't know about overstimulation. So I would actually run away and hide. Hmm. And the only place I could find to hide that was quiet was the opening to a storm sewer at the edge of the school property. <laughs> so I would go crawl in there. I was like nice and quiet. And it was peaceful and it was bliss. And then when I would hear the recess bell ring, I would just run back like I was never gone. And that went great until eventually a teacher realized where I was going. And that was a really big problem. Apparently, they don't like when children hide in the sewers. So <laughs> It's, it's it was just parents. It was a whole thing, and I, I had you know they were they were they were all worried. It's like, why are you doing that? Like, what's wrong? And da, 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 da. and I was like, no, it's just it's a nice place. It's quiet. Um, and eventually, I just you know I had to accept I can't do that anymore. And it was apparently a bad thing. It freaked everyone out. And I really started to think of my sensitivity, which I didn't know by that word, as some kind of negative trait, yeah. something that I was broken or needed to fix. And that really continued until adulthood. It wasn't until I was a grown up and um, started to dig into the research about sensitivity that I realized, wait a minute, this is me for starters. And secondly, this is like a bunch of strengths with it. This is actually a, a pretty good thing. It's not a weakness at all. Um, so it's it's a transformative thing. But that that stigma around being sensitive that has for a long time, it ran in the sciences as well as popular culture. And thankfully now we're starting to see a lot more widespread understanding of it, both in the sciences and hopefully with this book, Sensitive, uh, starting to see a change in society Man, as well. I, I just, it's so interesting. I want i want people to hear the different nuances though, because even that's a juxtaposition. So out on the playground as a kid, 
I was out there. I was out there playing tag and kickball and I was, I was big and, and fast and did well in sports and whatever. And I did that yet. I lived in a, almost like a different wing of the house. I stayed in my room with my door closed. I read and listened to music. That was, that was where I spent most of my time. I was the one giving the phone to my parents when the kids would call and say, Hey, it's Friday night, come out and have them say, no, I couldn't. Cause I just didn't, I wanted to stay in. But then even later on, going back to the playground, as I pursued team sports, it was high school. Finally, when I left team sports, I left, I, I was practicing for uh, high school football and finally just, I just was, I just couldn't handle the locker room. Just couldn't handle yeah. the locker room. And I went and became a professional cyclist. So while they're out there doing their, you know, the locker room and football practice, I'm on the road by myself out in the boonies somewhere. I didn't put this stuff together though, Andre, which is, is the point here. And I'm and- going to say that though, because I did the same thing, not in high school, but as, as an adult, I, when I, I made a conscious decision at a certain point in my life that if I want to be a writer, I got to be a writer. So I, mm-hmm. I quit my old career and decided to become a freelance writer. And I knew I would not have much money for a while, but I, I just decided to spend that time on my bicycle. And I rode my bike across first, first across the United States oh, wow. and then across Mexico, which was amazing. But it was those, you know, five, six, seven, sometimes more hours, sometimes 10 hours on the bike, just alone on the road. Uh, it was so peaceful and you could just let your thoughts go and get deep. And then when you get to the, you know, wherever you're going, it's like, well, now I'm craving people time and that's going to be great now. But just that calm of being focused and doing something, you know, yeah, it was amazing. Well, let's, I want to keep playing. I mean, we just did, we also just did a series on stoicism. And, you know, that's one that's no, no, now, now we had Tanner Campbell on. He says, okay, small S stoicism that he kind of minimized would say that there's, you know, no emotions. You're not, you know, you're not super sensitive. And he of course dispels that. It'd be fun to have a conversation with him on this because I think he would say, no, man, being sensitive is great. Now a stoic would say that they're not controlled by that. And, and this is an issue here. The fact that I am, I mean, some of these things, if they go too far and I just can't handle people, I can't handle lights. I can't handle, I can't handle anything. I'm going to be in a bubble. I do need to find some ways to manage it, moderate it, mediate it uh, to some aspect, but we're saying, no, you could be a a stoic and be a a sensitive stoic. Just like you said, you could be a sensitive in in the other aspects. So it's interesting to me, play with this with me. Andre, that I'm thinking about survival, you know, that aspect, if we go back to the caveman time and Grog is in his cave or whatever, it's going to serve him well to be sensitive. If not, he's going to get eaten by something. So he's probably on on alert, just like Jason Bourne or a wild animal or whatever. Today, however, we don't really need that sensitivity. Not many of us are at risk of being eaten by a predator uh, at this point, and we don't need that sensitivity. But you, I mean, gosh, the title of the book about this, well, gosh, I got to grab it, in <laughs> uh, a loud, fast, too much world that yeah. we're inundated and in in those that do have that sensitivity, it is, it's, it's a difficult place to be in. I, I'd rather be in a cave, but we're here. And so it's almost, a, it's almost two levels of like the, the, the performance side of sensitivity and the overstimulation of sensitivity are co-joined. Would you, how oh, would yeah. you say that? Yeah. Okay. They're really two sides of the same coin. Yep. Okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting thing to look at. And you do talk about that. You've got a whole section on, you know, kind of the culture and you made me think of we as our brains 
and we're taking in stimuli and you, cause you referenced some stuff happening in 1903 with electricity and telegraphs and phonographs. And oh my gosh, it was a world. The quote was a world that has become too fast, too loud, too much. This is 1903. Okay. Yeah. We're past that now. And that we have so much, our brain has so much to sift through that for any of us, it's a lot for a sensitive person, even more. It made me think of like a, uh, uh like a colander, you know, if it has some marbles in it, that's okay. Things can go through, but if you put sand in it, and everything mm. gets gummed up. And, and I feel like it's, that felt like that's what you're talking about that we're finding ourselves in. Oh, interesting. Like, like we're sort of getting gummed up by just yeah. too much coming in, too much data, too much information. All of us, yeah. but then even more so on the sensitive side, which means if you find yourself in this 30% high sensitive side, you do have some more to manage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's fascinating because that, that 1903 uh, talk that you were, you were discussing just now, that was a talk given by Georg Simmel, who was one of the first sociologists. And he really was making the point that, um, you know, this this world of, of things are faster, things are busier, things are more stimulating, there's more knowledge than ever, um, which are all good things in some ways. He was happy to ride the streetcar, and I'm sure he was very happy for modern medicine. But it, at the same time, it's... It, it all takes a cost. It all, every little stimuli throughout the day um, takes a little piece of your mental energy that you have. And there's a part of you that can keep up, right? The part of you that's driven by achievement can kind of like muddle through and keep pushing on with its teeth gritted for a while. But there's a part of you that can't keep up, which is um, what he would call the intellectual side and what I would call the sensitive side, um, which is this part of you that is about human connection and contemplation and the deeper things in life. And it just simply cannot operate if you're spending all of your mental resources on this high stimulation world. Um, and he was saying that not about 30% of people, but about all of humanity. This was his diagnosis of humankind as a whole, that we're overstimulating ourselves and we're just too sensitive as a species to uh, you know, just take more and more and more and more and always keep up. Um, but you're right. There's 30% of people who are more prone to that. And in a sense, that might make you think that they're kind of just doomed in a modern world that's high, highly stimulating. But we're finding that the opposite's true, that if people can uh, embrace this, this trait of theirs and understand it and start to lean into their strengths and learn what they need to do to manage the overstimulation side, that these are actually the people who uh, tend to just excel in our modern world because we are starved for this, right? We're starved for that kind of deep thinking. We're starved for that kind of compassion. We're starved for that kind of creativity. I mean, most of the most, you know, fastest growing sector of the economy right now is driven by creativity. So if you're mm -hmm. a person who's naturally high in creativity, uh, you're going to go places. And likewise, one of the things that AI is worst at replacing is empathy and compassion. Uh, it's one of the reasons that even the best, uh, even AI that's going to be amazing at diagnosing diseases will not replace doctors anytime soon because you need a human being who can understand your emotions and, yeah. and be with you through that those times. Um, and sensitive people are high in empathy as well. So we think there's a lot of reasons why this is a powerful strength today uh, as much as it ever was. It makes me think just about budgeting it. You know, if we go on, if I go on vacation with a buddy and let's say I've got lots of money, I can spend a lot more, you know, spontaneously than he can. He's got less. He's going to have to budget that. 
if I'm over here though, on the sensitive side, man, we're out here and it's, it's a great party time. I'm going to have to budget my socializing. Uh, I've got, I've got to, I've got to cater to that, that it's just, yeah, capacities that we do and don't have. And it's interesting. You talk about creativity. I mean, my life is spent as a, as what you would call a creative, but to do that, talk about budget. Yeah. I mean, I've got to, yeah. I've got a budget. I've, I've got to deal with the surroundings, the distractions and, uh, and then my own yeah, mental capacity, yes. sleep and recovery and some solitude and whatever to get it out. It feels difficult. Now, if I can get there though, I apparently I produce some decent work, people listen and read and whatever, but, um, yeah, I, I, you've got me thinking about just the, we're talking about that. So if we're, if we're getting awareness, that's what your yeah. book leads us through on where on your sensitivity and then how to budget it in essence, in essence, I w- I do want to ask, man, just kind of some big ticket issues that you talk about the toughness myth. Mm. Okay. So you have that in there and uh, again, yeah, we already talked about that, the propensity to look at sensitivity, it's kind of a fragile thing. So hopefully we've dispelled some of that uh, somewhat, but there's still the toughness myth. And what was interesting to me was to think about if you have somebody and I can use myself. So I'm a stereotypical guy, um, and you know, in sports and, and how you're, you're treated and especially, you know, I'm, I'm 52. So when I grew up, I mean, guys, you're supposed to be tough. And if I was more sensitive my question, Andre, or quandary a little bit was, could that even push me more to that tough side? Because that's a way to kind of stave off the sensitivity, to just shut down almost, toughen the exterior and go with that could even could could have possibly propelled me into that you know, toughness myth even more so because of my sensitivity, not less. You go maybe go either way? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. When there's a stigma around sensitivity, the the reaction is often to try to hide the sensitivity. And one of the best ways to do that is to try to pretend to be the opposite. And that's exactly what I did too okay. growing up as I tried to be as, as seem as tough as possible. And it doesn't really fit my personality. I mean, I, you know, I'm a perfectly capable person, uh, but I'm just not a, a mean, you know, uh, aggressive, like kind of that kind of guy, right? Um, I, I tend to be much more oriented around trying to make connections and get people to work together and, and find win-wins and things like that. Um, and it just, but I, I, I couldn't embrace that. It felt like to, it would be showing my weakness off to the world is what I was worried about. And I think all sensitive people, not just men, I think all sensitive people have a risk of doing this because, you know, the, the stigma is different for men and women, but there's a stigma either way about being sensitive. I mean, um, women are told not to be so sensitive, which is a phrase we should probably get rid of uh, yeah. from the English language, whereas men are just told not to be sensitive at all. But either way, as a little boy or a little girl, if you're, if you know, you rarely hear the word sensitive as, as a good thing. It's, hey, you're, oh, you're such a sensitive kid. We need to work on, you know, thickening your skin up or, or toughening, yeah. you up, toughening you up. And that's really the core idea of the toughness myth, which is this ethos that our society has sort of been stuck with because, um, as it does become more and more demanding, as work hours get longer, as, you know, notifications on your phone mean that your boss can slack you or email you at 10 p.m., yeah. even long after you're out of the office, as, you know, the amount of data you take in every day piles up, as we're more and more going to really crowded, loud uh, restaurants and bars and places that are just, you know, booming music, people packed as tight as possible to maximize profit, um, but this is our life now, and you're moving as fast as possible from obligation to obligation. You feel overbooked. It's an overstimulating world. Um, and 
of course, everyone is going to have their limit that they're going to hit sooner or later. But society tells us the toughness myth that says, no, no, the solution, the solution is to push through it. The solution is to toughen up, to suck it up, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep going. And that, that's that's the true virtue is to push through and tough out all of this overwhelm in your life. Well, pl- it doesn't work. play with it doesn't that. Work. Because you mentioned yeah. even like pain and as I think yeah. about pain, so I've always got, so I was a, I was a pro athlete and, um, you know, lots of injuries and stuff. My kids have even seen me, you know, get an injury and not just, uh, and be pretty nonchalant about it. Okay. Yeah. With that said though, I really think that I'm really sensitive to pain. I mean, I, I sometimes feel like a baby, you know, compared to my wife and some of the kids stuff. And I think I'm, the, I'm like the princess and the pea, man. If there's anything wrong with the bed or, yeah, again, sounds and lights or, or physical stuff, I, I feel like part of my pursuit of health and wellness is because I'm so insensitive. Are, uh, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I'm, so, I, I'm so sensitive to, um, to any – or intolerant is the word I was looking at. Ooh. Intolerant. Of feeling poorly in any way. If I have any, if I have a hangnail, it kind of ruins my day. So I, I want to feel well. Now that's different though, than do I have the ability to endure pain if there's a need to? Okay, sure. Maybe so. Doesn't mean that I'm insensitive as opposed to, and honestly, this is kind of a, a sad portrayal to go to, but we spent time uh, in children's homes with kids who are sorely neglected, abused, and you could have them laying on tacks and they just kind of are numb to it. They just don't feel anything now. And it's, it's devastating. And, you know, tr- even trying to help them with personal hygiene and whatever, they just, they can be dirty, poopy, whatever. And they just don't, they don't care. They're so ins- desensitized, maybe even, would that even be fair? So even that you could be highly sensitive, highly sensitive to pain. Doesn't mean you can't be a rock star in enduring yeah. it. Okay. Absolutely. I think that that's powerful. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you say that in the same way, I think of myself as really being able to just like play through any level of pain. You know, I, <laughs> a long time ago, I used to teach uh sword fighting classes and uh, I managed to break my ankle sword fighting, which is a lot of fun. And I just continued teaching and finished the entire class, like on yeah. the broken ankle before, you know, really, oh, I'm going to go home and ice it now. Uh, but then, you know, once that, that immediate need to push through was over, oh, you're right. A total baby, right? Just <laughs> that, it makes me think, yeah, I go out on these adventures with guys, you know, and we go kill it skiing or hiking or mountain biking or whatever. And I may be at the top of the heap there, but as soon as we get back, I, I oh, I'm, I'm just dirty and I want to get cleaned up and I don't want any discomfort at all. So yeah, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Okay. Another big ticket. You talked about genetics. You said, you said sensitivity is genetic, but I'm not gonna say, but, and you also do talk about things that can, well, I don't know. I'm going to ask you to, to exacerbate it because we could also look at, well, my question was, so let's say that it's, it's fairly genetic, but could it be exacerbated, increased, even instigated by trauma? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, right. So sensitivity is not caused by trauma, but there is a little asterisk to that, right? Okay. So um, in terms of genes, right, I think the the question, the answer to the question, is it nature or nurture? It's the same as it always is. It's a mix of both, sure. right? Um, so with sensitivity, that's, that's very much true. Um, roughly 50% of how sensitive you are comes from your genes, and roughly 50% comes from uh, your life experiences, especially in early childhood. Okay. We know because of twin studies where the two twins have identical genes and they have the same genes for being sensitive. 
but they score differently as adults on a highly sensitive uh, test, right? Um, so presumably the difference between their scores has something to do with their different life experiences. Okay. Um, okay. And that puts it at roughly 50-50. But those numbers are a little misleading because the two play a different role. The genes and the upbringing play a different role in your sensitivity. So your genes determine kind of like what ballpark you're going to be in, right? If you think of that continuum of low, average, or high sensitivity, there's sort of like three ballparks you could be in, and your genes are going to put you in one of those. And that's pretty much where you're going to be for life. Um, And then throughout your life, your life experiences fine-tune that, right? And they can move you up or down to be a little more sensitive or a little less sensitive. Um, If you think of it as like a 100-point scale, if your genes put you around a 70 for sensitivity, Maybe your life experiences will get you up to a 75 or 76 or maybe down to a 68, but they're not going to move you to the other end of the spectrum, right? It's going to be somewhere around that 70. So in a big way, your genes determine how sensitive you are. Um, But there are certain environments that can increase or decrease it. And what's interesting is the two environments that will increase your sensitivity as a child are number one is if you're born and and raised in pretty much the best possible childhood, right? Like if you have parents who are not just loving, but they're well adjusted themselves, you know, they're really supportive. They have some resources to put into you. uh, They're really focused on you. They're aware of emotional coaching and all the kind of stuff that we wish the perfect parent would have that none of us as parents ever measure up to. But those few people who get that upbringing, their sensitivity goes up. And the reason for that is if you're being handed resources and support left and right, your body wants to and your brain wants to soak up as much of that as possible. You're being given a springboard. You don't want to just jump a little bit. You want to jump to the moon, right? So your your brain says, wow, you know, if we're just getting good thing after good thing after good thing, we should become more sensitive to it and get even more out of it by doing the deep processing, right? So that's the best childhood. And unfortunately, the opposite is also true. At the opposite extreme, if you are born into a, a situation where you're you're being abused and you have a really traumatic, uh, terrible uh, childhood, unfortunately, um, it also increases your sensitivity. And that time it's for a different reason. It's because if you're always under threat of, you know, being yelled at or hit again, it, it's helpful to be on high alert and to notice those little things that other kids might not notice, like, yeah. oh, Oh, when dad does that, that means he's going to get angry in a few minutes. I better go hide now before he gets angry. Um, that's unfortunately why sensitivity increases in those situations. Um, but with that said, the vast majority of, of highly sensitive people have, just like most of us, the vast majority of us in general, have an average middle-of-the-road upbringing where it's like there wasn't abuse, there were some hard times, it right. wasn't perfect, there were some really good times, though, a mixture of support and occasional problems that just, you know, nonetheless, they're still highly sensitive people. So that's kind of how it breaks Yeah, it makes sense. So talk to me now about anxiety, because you talk about that in the book, and I relate to that. Again, I'm learning new stuff, uh, Andre. That's why I do this right here, because I, I have said more and more that I – realizing I have an anxiety issue and it's not always, we say that and you think, Oh, he's a worrier. It's all negative. It's it's not always that I I have anxiety about exciting stuff. I Mm. I get excited about an idea and it keeps me up at night. And, and so I'm having to realize I've got to manage that anxiety. That's not all negative. It's just how I tend to be wired and you relate a decent amount. I, I think of sensitivity to anxiety, but I want you to, reconcile that 
everybody out there in a culture that it feels like everybody has anxiety, that does not mean that everybody is sensitive either. We're in, but kind of back to that, we're in a, in a, in a crazy, we're in a culture that's just kind of creating too much for everyone. Everyone's got some anxiety. It's, it's not, yeah. that doesn't mean that you are a highly sensitive person. Is that that's very true? And I'm also going to flip that. Okay. Uh, it, if you're a highly sensitive person, it does not mean that you're going to have anxiety. It's okay. just the same thing at all. One doesn't lead to the other. Uh, but there is some overlap. And this has been an interesting conundrum in science for a long time, uh, which I think we finally have an answer to, uh, which is that people who test higher for sensitivity uh, tend to be at a higher risk for anxiety. It doesn't mean they're, it's not caused by anxiety. They're not guaranteed to have anxiety, but it does seem like they're more likely to go on to have anxiety um, just in terms of you know, having a higher rate of it maybe than the general right. population. Okay. Um, and so for a long time, uh, scientists were associating, okay, so sensitivity has something to do with anxiety or it makes you at risk for it. Um, it turns out that's not quite the full story because what sensitivity does is it's um, it's this kind of fork in the road, right? If you're processing everything deeply, that means that if you're having stressful circumstances in your life, you're going to process them more deeply and they might cause more of a struggle for you than they would cause for someone who's less sensitive, who doesn't process them so deeply. So that means the same things that might give anyone anxiety might be more likely to give you anxiety if you're a highly sensitive person. Uh, so that's probably what accounts for the, you know, the, the increased risk there, right. but the opposite's also true. There are certain things that make people less likely to have anxiety. Having a really good support network, like social support network yeah. around you is one of them, right? And if you are a sensitive person and you have a good supportive group of friends or family uh, who really kind of help build you up, you're absorbing more and more of that as well. You're getting more of that because you process it more deeply. And if that's the kind of situation you're in, then when something comes along that might give anyone anxiety, you might actually be less likely to have that anxiety. Okay. So it's a fork in the road in a sense. And this really ties into what I consider to be the biggest, most powerful gift of highly sensitive people, which is the sensitive boost effect. Okay. The boost effect means that the same things that would help anybody out, give anybody a boost, are going to give 10 times the boost for a highly sensitive person. Uh, it's not literally 10 times, but they give a much bigger, higher boost to a highly sensitive yeah. person. Um, so for example, like we all know that if a, if a kid has a stable, healthy home environment, they tend to get better grades at school, right? Okay. Makes sense. Uh, but if a highly sensitive child has that same stable, healthy home environment, they don't just get better grades. They tend to rocket to the top of their class. Wow. Now, that templates to just about everything. Study after study. Every time we go in and we look at, well, does it work in this? Uh, yeah, it does. So, for example, um, with teenagers who had depression, right? Um, there was a wonderful study in the UK by Michael Pluis, who's one of the leading sensitivity researchers. And he went to one of the most economically uh, impoverished parts of the UK and worked. He partnered up with a school. Um, it was a school for girls that were of a certain age group. I think it was like 11 to 13 or 11 to 15 or something. Um, and this, of course, is a population that's at high risk for depression because you're growing up in really tough circumstances. Whether you're sensitive or not, you'd have a risk for depression. And they uh, partnered up with a school and offered a program that's been proven to help treat depression and help people overcome depression. They offered it to all these, these students at the school. And uh, just as, as they expected it would, the program worked, you know, on, on average, not for everyone, of course, but on average, it in increased their likelihood to overcome with their depression and led to lower depression on average for these students. But 
Then they went ahead and tested the students with sensitivity. And it turns out that the even though it helped everybody a little bit, the highly sensitive students were the ones who went on to not only overcome their depression much more often than the others, they actually stayed depression-free long-term. Every time the researchers went back into the follow-up, other people might go back to depression, but the highly sensitive teens had gotten such a big boost out of that program that even when it was over, they were more likely to stay depression-free. Wow. It was such a big effect that, in fact, like the majority of the of the success of the depression program was for the highly sensitive students. Like that accounts for more than half of the the outcome being of that it worked. Right. Um, The same thing is true when we looked at um, not we this wasn't my study, but when uh, when they looked at adults who are going through uh, high risk for divorce. Mm hmm. And gave them uh, a, a basically a class to teach them relationship skills with their partner. Um, the partners who had at least one person, didn't have to both be sensitive, but at least one of them tested as a highly sensitive person. Um, they were the most likely to stay together after receiving the, that training. Not only were they more likely to save their marriage, they actually improved their relationship quality. Uh, which the other couples did not do, even if they stayed together. So they didn't just stick together because their teeth gritted. They actually became happier with each other and fixed problems in their relationship by using that program. And this is just true for thing after thing after thing. So if you're a highly sensitive person, you have this rocket ship strapped to your back that's waiting to be ignited, right? And the thing that ignites it is having a supportive environment. Ways you can get that. So, of course, therapy is one way, right? But there's also much more positive-oriented ways. So find a career mentor, Uh, Take career development classes. Uh, Start looking at your friend circle and saying, who are the friends that really build me up and really believe in me and support me? And who are the ones that I maybe don't always feel so good about myself or I don't think they really believe in me? Let's spend less time with those friends and more time with the friends who are really supportive and build that positive social support. And you can just do this across your life and building sources of support in. When you do, not only will you be at less risk of depression and anxiety, not just less risk than you were, but less risk than less sensitive people are, like less risk than anybody. But you'll start to be able to excel in ways you might not have expected and become the star performer at work or the star student at school or one of the best athletes on your team or start to really achieve your goals that you felt like you were never going to achieve before. Uh, Sensitive people thrive on that kind of self-development work and on having sources of support in their life. And not everyone gets a big, you know, springboard effect out of it. Uh, But sensitive people do. They can jump real high if they give themselves a springboard. Man, that is, I'm I'm taking this straight home Um, because you're speaking to, I've got a bunch of kids, uh, one in particular, who this is him, man, this is him. And I feel like we spent some time maybe not supporting his sensitivity so well and thankfully we've done some things without having the clarity that you're helping me have to support that. And as he's dug into it, he's kind of going off the charts academically. He's uh, just taken the SAT again and is trying to see how close to a perfect score he can get. I'm just looking at, I I have no academic bone in my body and, and I'm, but I'm looking at him going to go for it. I'm going to take this to him. Uh, You know, cause I think all we've done is says, gosh, he's just, you know, he's kind of intolerant like me and, really introverted like me or whatever and not saying, no, he's just really sick. Cause he is all this fits him. And so if yeah. we cater to it though, he can, he can rock it. Okay. I want to hit. Wait, wait, the, can I ask, what are some yeah. of the things that you've done that have kind of helped support that for him? 
um, allowed him to have more solitude. So we have a big family. And so it's, you know, everybody's everybody for dinner, everybody for the gathering, everybody for that. And he's over here not wanting to do it or, or Hey, we're all going to, to do, um, gosh, we just did a trip somewhere and he just asked to not to. And in the past I would have said, dude, it's the family you're coming. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not. And now, interestingly, along with that, I'm doing more of that as well of going, Hey, I, they're, they're doing a bonsai trip this weekend, a drive in there, going to a kid event, coming back. I, go, I just, I, I, I need to, I need to recharge some, I, I need yeah. to, to, to protect, I would say that. And so, um, yeah, I got giving him his own, his own space, not pushing him in the same way and honoring that a little more. I, I hope we have, I think we can do a lot better job even now. So. I love that. That's so good. Yeah, I have a, a two-year-old son, and he is um, he is definitely not an introvert. He's the only extrovert in the family. Uh, he's a raging extrovert, but he does show all the signs of being a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. And I I've learned that when we like when I started a dance class with him, a little toddler dance class that we we signed up for, and he loves it. But the first few times, he did not like it. And I thought about it. I said, you know, it's because it's overstimulating. So I just tried, you know, we all usually start sitting in a circle. I'm like, let's try if I move out of the circle. We move farther back against one of the walls of the room. He can see the whole room. We're not right in the action. He can observe before we jump in, right? He can see what everyone else is doing. And I bet after five minutes or so, he's going to get really comfortable and then he'll want to join in. And I kind of crossed my fingers and that worked, right? Because if you're a sensitive extrovert, you might love the attention and the people time, but you have a hard time with that new situation where everything is stimulating at once and you don't know, oh, what's this going to be? What's that going to be? Who are all these people? Uh, Sensitive kids often just do well from like observing for a while before they join into a party or a class or whatever it might be. And sure enough, that was like what changed it for him. So now he loves it. But I love hearing what other parents do. The the awareness, I'm just, yeah, it's just making me think of a lot of the things of the activities that that one son will want to join in and and the others not. If we're all going to go see a movie, you know, he's in. If we're going to go even maybe play a game, we're in. We're going to go play laser tag? Eh, probably not. You know, it's the chaos. So go to a concert or something. It's not his gig. We just, a bunch of us went to a concert. He didn't. So I need to do a better job of honoring. I can do a better job of honoring that. Um, The three types of sensitivity, I feel like it's important to bring out here. And you've got three types, low low sensory threshold and you have sights, smells, sounds, textures, super sensor, uh, which interestingly, as I went there and checked it, I'd say that's about, I'm at least 50%, if not more, but 50% there ease of excitation. Uh, is that how you say it? Yeah, it is. It is. I'm, I'm laughing because this was a discussion between my co-author, Jen Graneman, and I. Uh, we ended up using those terms, which are the terms used in scientific papers. But I feel like like maybe it's better if we just nickname them, right? So it's like the first one is physical sensitivity. Okay. The second one is emotional sensitivity. And the third one is aesthetic sensitivity. I'm just going to put it Hold that on. Hold on. I'm taking notes, man. Physi- first one's physical. The next one's what? Uh, emotional uh, sensitivity. Emotional. And the last one's what? The third one is aesthetic sensitivity. Uh, aesthetic. Okay. So for, let's start physical then. Uh, and yeah, you yeah. say that's a super sensor, sights, smells, sounds, uh, textures. I, I, I feel even higher on that than what my, I, my self score was, but at least 50%. The emotion, um, easily respond to emotional stimuli, super feeler. And I felt about 75% as I checked this out. And folks, as I'm reading through this, he has a lot, they have a lot of, you don't, you kind of put them as bullet points. For me, it was like a checklist. And I went along literally in the yeah. book with a pencil and, you know, I'm checking them off. I was about 75% on that. And the last one, aesthetic, which I don't, 
I don't even use that word, Andre. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and pay close attention to the details in your surrounding. I, I would have not related that at all. That was really yeah. where I scored highest. A oh, son of a yeah. gut. Yeah, totally well, interesting. It surprised me knowing that you're a creative, right? Because the aesthetic sensitivity is, you know, it's especially tied to you have a strong appreciation for art. You feel deeply moved by music or movies. You know, you might even, I'm not saying you personally, I, I won't speak for you, but, you know, one might, uh, and I do, even cry at a movie or at, at a piece of music or something like that because of, of how much it moves you. And this aesthetic ability that's kind of related to, yeah, it does involve noticing the subtle differences. Like, oh, yeah, those all look like uh, blue tiles, but actually these are a little darker and these are a little lighter, and I could arrange them to make a mosaic, and it would be really... That kind of thing. That's what we mean by aesthetic sensitivity, which is also, I think, tied to um, really valuing a sense of meaning, like really looking for meaning in things, which often goes hand in hand with artwork as well. And these three types of sensitivity are things that any sensitive person, you can score higher for one or two of them than the others, yeah. right? You, you're you going to be a mix of all three. Any sensitive person is going to have all three of these to some degree, but it is absolutely true that you might be more aesthetically inclined and maybe not so much on the physical or maybe not so much on the emotional. You'll still probably have it more than a less sensitive person, but you might have one or two that really are kind of what you lean into the most. I, well, I'm, I'm, again, it's so eye opening and I'm eager for people to, to hear the show here. And I think, I think it's people here. If you feel any propensity towards some of this ringing a bell, I, get the book. Um, yeah. get the book well, or, or go to the, the website. Cause you, at the website, you can also take your sensitivity test, right? Yeah. We have a test on the website. It's sensitiverefuge.com, yeah. uh, world's largest website for sensitive people. Uh, very proud of that. So you can check that out. Uh, the test is right on the top uh, bar there. Easy to find. Um, or of course, you know, pick up the book sensitive and, uh, the other thing I would say is if you have any inkling that maybe some of this is speaking to you, if you might be a sensitive person, but you're not sure, um, that probably means something. You know, most of us tend to lean away from our sensitivities. So if you just a little bit suspect it, it's worth investigating. And the number one thing you can do for yourself as a sensitive person is to accept and embrace your sensitivity. Once you start to lean into it, stop hiding it, that's when your strengths will really come out, when you'll be able to unlock these sensitive gifts and start to use them. And that's where my interest is, Andre. So I want to speak to the people who maybe are hearing this and going, son of a gun. I didn't really see that in myself. Kind of like me, going sensitive right. and thinking, yeah, and now my my excitement in it, literally, that's why you're here, is going Man, I can I can better leverage this for my okay. On one side, I'd say for success and achievement. Okay, great. I'm honestly I'm a little more excited just for my peace, just for for my own mental state of 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 just like that of being okay with what I do participate in, don't participate in. How can I? So if I'm gonna if I want to be creative, how can I better bolster that? How can I realize uh, again moderate or. Um, gosh, mediate maybe so that Ooh. I can get the most out of my self. Yeah. You're, you're the aesthetic thing. Again, that's new for me. And I'm thinking I, I didn't relate to it. I'm not big on design and whatever. Now art, especially music is top of the list to me. Like Spotify comes out with their, their ratings. And there's like two people on planet earth that listen to music more than I do. I mean, that's just kind of my, my go-to. That's true. You're like number three listener in the world. No, it, it's like, top, okay. but my kids think it's, yes, I would have believed it. No, no. My kids <laughs> think it's amazing. No, it's, it literally is like top 1%, you know, they're you're, uh, literally wow. top 1% and the, the hours are like, Holy smokes. Do you not ever have the music? Not it's not on now. So there you go. There but, you go. Yep. but then, you know, even that I, I live out in a national forest and we, you know, the, 
big view of the mountains and Pikes Peak. That's my aesthetic. And like you, I have the meaning I have to it. I pulled out a book here because we're about to have uh, an author on here, uh, Jake Eagle, and it's The Power of Awe. Because I feel awe so much in so many things. And so, but again, I didn't relate to aesthetics. So I, I, I'm loving the book because it's just opening up. Like uh, I relate to that. Now that I relate to it, if I can be aware of it, I can experience more. I can experience more peace, more awe, uh, more creativity. And so that's really the hope that I want people to hear this to go. You may be Mr. Tough guy or gal or whatever and realize, okay, you can, you can still be that. You can go out there and kick butt. You can be Jason Bourne, who's apparently highly sensitive. He does not, I mean, he hears a, you know, a, a, a fly fart a mile away and he uses that to his advantage. It's very skillful. I don't, if I, if I'm at a special forces person, I, I want a, I want a sensitive person, but I'm going to have a surgeon be great to have a sensitive person. Uh, that'd be fun to kind of put some of the top tier, you know, vocations that flourish by sense. How about an airport traffic controller? I'd be great to have a sensitive person that notices what's going on. All right. Before we end though, I want to hit the five gifts of sensitivity and I'll, I'll list them here real quick. Uh, you've got number one is empathy, which we talked about. Well, I'll come back to that five gifts, empathy, creativity, sensory intelligence, depth of processing, and depth of emotion. Now, I'm not going to go through the details, folks. You can go get the book or go to the website and, um, and, and check it out there. But empathy, um, we talked about that, and there is a difference. You know, you differentiate that between empathy and, and creativity. But in this sense, you're saying that can be a gift. If you, have, if you are a sensitive person or have a sensitive person in your life, that empathy can be a gift. The creativity uh, like you're saying, if you can, uh, what I'm hearing you say is if we can support that, then well, as a sensitive person, they may have a propensity to have a higher level of creativity. Yeah. And actually, that's one of the few stereotypes about sensitive people that's true. Like if you think of the stem- the sensitive artist, that is absolutely true. Like many, 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 maybe most, I would say, artists are likely to score as a highly sensitive person. The same is true for musicians uh, across the board. Uh, including people who do not seem sensitive at all, uh, like, you know, heavy metal musicians and things like that. Um, and it's also true of actors and performers. In fact, Nicole Kidman is on the record not only as saying she's a highly sensitive person herself, which she is, um, but she actually said that as far as she's concerned, every actor is a highly sensitive person. Like, you can't do the job if you're not a highly sensitive person. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, it's a very powerful correlation between sensitivity and creativity. Interesting. I got to hook you up with some people on that note. Uh, some yeah. some actors and, and comedians, some folks that would be, I'd be, that's really interesting. I'll do that. We'll do that offline. Um, the next one, sensory intelligence. Now, that's the one where I'm going to come back to like the Jason Bourne kind of thing, because yeah. you, one of the aspects of that you have is situational awareness. Now, you use yeah. the example of that I appreciated of Bruce Springsteen. Everybody knows Bruce Springsteen, the, the rock star. And that he was sensitive enough that he would read the crowd and, cr- and craft which songs and even even the style songs that they were going to sing to fit that crowd. And my thought is here that, it, you know, let's say that you're not a sensitive, let's say that you're Bruce Springsteen and you're not a sensitive person. How great to have a person on staff that says, hey, Bruce, yeah, right. I'm reading the room here, man. And this is what I see. Why don't you nix those songs and do these? That's awesome. That, there's a way to harness a sensitive person, or if you're a sensitive person to be utilized in that sense. Yes. 
Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And he, that's a great one too, because he combines, you know, so many of these, you can see shining in Bruce Springsteen where it's, you know, he's reading the room, he's noticing things other people don't notice, you know, which involves both the situational awareness and the empathy to some degree. And of course he's got the creativity and the depth of emotion in his, in his song and his lyrics. It's, it's a powerful combination, but you're right. Yeah. Situational awareness is a big part of sensory intelligence. And this is something that um, it pays off in the, in the operating room. It pays off in the military. It pays off in law enforcement it pays off anywhere we're noticing tiny details is going to matter um to the it's funny enough to the point that both the military trains their units on, on situational awareness and hospitals now train their staff to have more situational awareness yeah. so people in these fields are actually being trained to be good at something that sensitive people are just good at rolling out of bed in the morning so <laughs> i i love it's just one that i didn't really perceive of that and you you talk about this in the book of as something happens or something's mentioned that I'm find myself going, okay, if that happens, that's going to lead to this and that's going to lead to this and that's going to lead to this. And okay, wait a minute, guys, let's come back here. And I just didn't perceive that. Um, Well, the fourth one, depth of processing. And actually I've got the book out here because I I pulled the page number, depth of processing. And you have bullet points, more careful, often better decision-making, thorough and broad reaching thinking, creative connecting. Like I just like creative connecting to the dots between different topics and ideas, a preference for deep, meaningful ideas and activities, Um, surprising original ideas and perspectives. Either way, there's, again, I want people to hear these things. I think this is a, if you, again, feel like you relate to some of these, go through the book and it doesn't mean you'll be everything. We should pull that out too. You may read through and go, gosh, yeah, I relate to 25% of this in a dramatic way. And that's, I can use that. And the rest of it's not as much. So you may not be, you know, off the spectrum here. Um, And then the last one, depth of emotion, explain that one. Right. So, and this is interesting because we list it as a strength, and I firmly believe yeah. that. I think a lot of people will be like, oh, that sounds like a bad thing, maybe. Um, on average, sensitive people really do feel emotions very strongly. Do they feel them stronger than other people? That's hard to say. I'm not going to say anyone doesn't feel their emotions strongly, uh, but they report feeling emotions very strongly, and their physiological and brain activity backs that up. Um, sensitive people, in a, in a way, is actually a, a fun part of the brain that basically takes the um, sensory information that you're bringing in through the five senses and connects it with the emotional information you're bringing in. Uh, so it's sort of the, that's the part of the brain where you're sort of coloring emotional data into the physical world. It's like the reason why uh, getting someone roses is giving them a romantic gift and not just like a nice vegetable, right? Um, <laughs> is, is there's an emotional meaning to roses, even right. though they're a physical object. Right. Um, so that's the part of the brain that does that. And this is a much more active area for highly sensitive people. And this actually has a lot of interesting like strengths to come with it, where if you have strong, rich, vibrant emotions, if you're seeing more emotional color in the world, you tend to have this, um, this infectious ability uh, to connect and understand other people. Right? Emotions are our language as human beings. It's much more so than any of the words we say is the emotions we're conveying. This is what sells people in an idea. It's what gets politicians elected. It's not their plan they have. It's, it's how they make people feel. Um, passion and vision are things that unite people and rally people. And the strength of emotion is why uh, a highly sensitive person who's leaning into their strengths and really, really, you know, embracing their sensitivity can often be 
powerfully charismatic and able to bring people together who might otherwise not be able to come together mm -hmm. uh, to unite people and to get them together around a vision or a cause as well. Uh, and can do this, you know, because you do have the high empathy as well as a sensitive person, generally for a good cause, you know, generally for something positive and not something negative. Uh, so it's a very powerful trait to have these strong emotions. It's also like empathy, one that's not always fun, right? It's It's not pleasant to feel uh, sadness or stress maybe more than other people might or to stay yeah. stuck in it longer than other people might. And those are things that in the book we talk about how to overcome that and, um, you know, learn emotional regulation that'll work for you as a sensitive person so that you don't get mired in the negative emotions, um, but you still get these lessons that emotions teach us. That one stuck out to me, Andre, because I, I realized there's uh, even like social media, you know, scrolling through Instagram or or whatnot. There's so much there that's trying to appeal to kind of the adrenaline, the scary stuff or a, a fall or, or a wreck or an animal, you know, violent type thing. And I realized that I, or I've known for a long time. I don't like looking at those. It just, yeah. it's kind of a visceral feeling. People like to send me bike stuff because I, you know, that's my, has been my life. And so much of it is, is wrecks or just crazy stuff. I don't, I don't like to see that. I, I yep. feel it too much. So that's a way for me to avoid that. It just, it doesn't, it may, everybody else, you enjoy that. I, I just don't want to see that. So to, to know that, and to know that's not a bad thing, but man, I, I feel that too much. And on that, I, I don't want to miss the, it's chapter six in the book is called full hearted love. And you get into some of the relational aspects and man, you, it's, you have one section, the sensitive person's relationship dilemma. Man, that's, that's a whole show right there for me. Uh, you've got 11 bullet points and I checked, I checked all, I checked 10 of them full on. And the other one, I have a question mark to that. I think I would check, but I have some other things that I think it probably violated some of the natural aspect of that, but it really goes through some aspects that are going to be, that could be, well, I'll say for me, have been troublesome in my relationships because I wasn't aware of them. If I could go, if I had known and I'd go in and go, okay, this is, this is kind of me. I don't think, I think we could have navigated a lot better and, and not that I can't use it now and say, okay, this is why we have problems here because I feel in this way, or I, I need this and it may be a little outside of the norm. So if I guess maybe I'll just give a call out to that, that this is, this is pretty significant for those of you who are in relationships or want to be, and, and you think you might be on this highly sensitive side. It's a great way to like, well, you talked about that. This would be something that you hope to see sensitivity as like a personality trait that you're going to go into a job place and say, oh, that's part of my resume. Yeah, I'm a highly sensitive person. You're going to put it on your personals ad in eHarmony and go, yeah. this is me. So I'm an experienced life this way. That's great. That's, yep. that's the hope. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. In the same way that, I mean, uh, you know, so if you think back like 20 years, if you were an introvert, you wouldn't admit that to anyone. It was like a dirty word, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And now it's very common for people to put it right on their on their dating profile. Like introvert, you know, it's, it's, it means everyone knows what it means. And it means something that's it's neither positive nor negative. It's just a, a fact about the person. And I think that's really how we should view sensitivity as well. Yeah. Well, agreed. Man, thank you. I could spend the rest of the day on this, but folks, go read the book. Go read the book. Go to the website, and uh, which we'll have in the intro and the outro and all that kind of stuff. But go there. And, uh, and engage with this. And I think that's the hope is to understanding yourself better, understanding the world, how you perceive it better, and then how to I keep using the word leverage, but I like that how to, how to leverage this for your benefit and your peace 
by how you budget your life around it. Man, thank you guys for the work that you've done for putting this thing out. I'm so excited to bring it to the audience. I'm excited to bring it to my family and I'm excited to continually integrate it into my own life. I have some people I need to talk to, Andre, based on this. So man, thank you so much. This has been an incredible honor. Thanks for having me, Kevin. It's great. All right, friends, this is part one with Andre. We're going to be talking more on this topic. Again, his new book that I'm studying for my own sensitivities is Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. And connect with him and the community at sensitiverefuge.com. You can find him on Instagram. They got, uh, I don't know, 150,000 folks there, I think. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends. 